Well, again, good evening. <clears throat> so, uh, over the course of the next 40 or so days, for the midweek Lent services, we're going to be going through uh, John's account of Jesus' betrayal and arrest and trial and execution, uh, which is great. Uh, John has, uh, he, he puts in a lot of details and tells the story in a very compelling, cohesive way. And there's a lot there with John. And so we start tonight with Jesus' betrayal and his arrest in uh, the garden. And if you noticed uh, during the reading, this story is kind of a mess. Like there's a lot that happens in pretty rapid succession. See, Judas... uh, at some point before this, has made the decision to betray Jesus. And that right there has been bothering uh, thinkers, Christians, and scholars for about 2,000 years. It's not clear why Judas did what he did. I think there are some compelling-ish ideas, maybe some possible reasonable explanations, but they all fall apart to some extent. I mean, it's not like J- Judas could take the money he got and live off of that for the rest of his life. I mean, it wasn't that much money. And it seems like that is the, a- or the betrayal anyway, is the actions of somebody who is in some way discontent with how things have turned out. Deep down, he seems to understand that Jesus doesn't deserve to have this happen to him because later he realizes, I've betrayed an innocent man, and he tries to give the money back, and that doesn't work out quite so well. So, why? The unfortunate reality is that even though there are some explanations, we don't really know. We just know that he did. Uh, Nevertheless, it was the chief priests primarily who were the ones that, uh, that needed Jesus to die. There was enough uh, disagreement among the Pharisees that, uh, that uh, they didn't act as a single unified body of people because they never were a single unified body. Uh, and it was the chief priests anyway that had the, the political clout uh, to, or, or leverage I should say, and they interfaced with the Roman authorities enough to be able to kind of cram something like this through even if they didn't want to do it. Um, they also had, were the ones that had access to the temple guard. The temple guard were some of the few people in the area that were not Roman that actually had the authority to execute somebody. Now, that was mainly within the context of protecting the temple. If, say, a uh, filthy Gentile like you and me tried to get into the, the holy place, or the even worse, the most holy place within the temple, they could strike them down. Um, so, at some point within striking a deal, Judas uh, gets access to these temple guards, and that's what John means when he says the soldiers and, and all of that. And they approach the garden, because they know Jesus is going to be there. Uh, This does help us understand the plan, though, because Jesus had been teaching in the temple area for about a week, 
And even before that, he was apparently fairly popular with the people. Turns out, when you talk about the kingdom of God in a very compelling way, it's going to be popular. Uh, The problem is that there was a lot of implied critique against the temple. And we know the chief priests were corrupt from other sources. And so they knew they needed to get him. But they couldn't just grab him in the temple because he was too popular. And especially this close to Passover, they just, the people would have rioted. It would not have been a good thing. So they needed a guy on the inside. And they needed to know when Jesus was going to be alone and vulnerable. And this was the night. He went off uh, with his disciples to pray. They are in the, the garden. They show up. The soldiers show up along with Judas. Now Jesus, uh, or when, they, they, uh, when Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they fall back or something like that. I don't know. I, I don't know why they responded like that. I, I do know that, that there, there have been people that I've known in my life who uh, they don't demand respect, they command it. Uh, people that in some ways are extremely powerful and influential, and they, I could see them under the right circumstances evoking a response like that. Now, if, if something else is happening there instead of Jesus just having a very commanding presence, it's not clear to me. Um, doesn't really matter either. But they go back and forth a couple of times. And then, as if the situation wasn't sort of a little bit messy uh, to begin with, Peter apparently got a sword some, some, at some point. And, I mean, it's obviously not in the text, but in kind of my own imagination, I just think of Jesus going, where did you get that? What are you doing? Um, now, as it turns out, Peter having a weapon is going to be kind of relevant a little bit later when Jesus is facing off with Pontius Pilate. Because Pilate, in interrogating Jesus, has to determine if Jesus is a threat to Roman safety, security, or interest. And the real quick way for Jesus to be a threat to any of those things is if he goes around saying, I am the actual king of Israel, grab your weapons, let's go. Of course, Jesus does no such thing. And he actually tells Pilate this. He says, if my kingdom were were of this world, meaning it originated in the world, my servants would be fighting that I wouldn't be given up. And they weren't, except for Peter, because of course Peter did. That's a very Peter thing to do. And he takes the sword and he just swings it, and I still, I don't know how you swing a sword and catch an ear. Um, I might be reading too much into this, but that tells me he doesn't really know how to use it. Um, But, yeah. And then Jesus, of course, being Jesus, brings this, to a much deeper level very quickly. In the chaos of Peter swinging this thing around, he says, shall I not drink the cup 
that is set before me by the Father. Now, rattling around in my head over the last several days, thinking about this, has been the question, what is the point of no return for Jesus? Um, At what point are things set in motion that without drastic effort, Jesus is certainly going to his grave? It wouldn't have been when Jesus was still sitting and eating with his disciples. Uh, the, you know, it, would, it would have been very tough for the, the guard to get to them without causing a scene. And by the time Jesus has told Peter to put that thing away before he hurt somebody, um, by that point, it's pretty much over, I think we could say. Um, I think even by the time Jesus is on his way to the garden, he could still turn around. Um, and I think also by the time he gets to the garden, like he could still shout scatter and everyone scatters and then the guard turns up empty-handed. I think it's when the guard actually shows up and sees Jesus face to face. I think that's the point. That's the moment when things have now been set in motion that can't really easily be undone. That's the moment when it is essentially guaranteed that Jesus will drink the cup of suffering set before him by the Father. That's the point where he will, within 24 hours, drink the cup of death and his life will end. And the reason why that's been rattling around in my head is that when you think about death, imminent death, or the timeline of death, If for Jesus, uh, his death is not a foregone conclusion and him being Jesus, hard to say if it is or it isn't, um, he had a lot of agency until the moment he chooses not to leave when the guards show up. For you and I, that clock starts ticking the moment we take our first breath. From the moment we are born, the timer has started. That is a deeply uncomfortable reality, if we allow it to be. Um, And since Ash Wednesday is often a time when, when we sit and meditate on our own mortality, and our own weakness, our own frailty, that maybe this isn't a bad place to start. Uh, Now, Jesus, when he takes that cup of suffering, as he would say, um, he seems to be 
pretty clear on the fact that his time is about to be up. But he also knows that this isn't going to be the end of the story. Um, That yes, he will taste death, a horrific death, a a kind of death that that, um, I think you and I probably can't really fathom. Uh, A death that is rooted in shame and is engineered to be pure propaganda by the powers that be. For somebody to just knowingly put himself in that position, that's, that, that's a level of fortitude that, that I, I can't really identify with, to be honest. And yet, when he does this, when he drinks that cup of suffering, knowing that the clock is now ticking, In effect, he's joining us. Joining us in the reality that the clock for all of us is ticking. And yet, when he goes to his grave, and his time is up, death doesn't hold him there. And in fact, for the first time in all of human history, the clock actually seems to start winding the other way. Somebody had um, pointed out, I don't even remember the context, some point in the last week, somebody had said, well, Jesus wasn't the first to be resurrected because what about Lazarus? Um, And I said to them, well, as far as we know, Lazarus died. At some point, Um, I am not aware of anybody claiming to be roughly 2,000 years old and still living today and in sound mind. Um, Because what happens with Lazarus is just a resuscitation, a a miraculous one, don't get me wrong, but just a resuscitation. People can do that now. But what happened with Jesus when he went into his grave after drinking the cup of mortality and suffering, rather than the clock stopping, the clock started ticking back. And for the first time, death, mortality, the cup of death and suffering poured by the Father for Jesus did not have the last word. It was, for the first time, not the end of the story. And for the rest of us, all of whom, or for all of whom uh, the clock is still ticking, what Jesus accomplishes by being raised from the dead is a promise when we breathe our last Death, likewise, will not have the final word. And as the Apostle Paul will someday later say, after Jesus, what God did for Jesus, he will do for us. The journey of Lent is to go through those moments, to think deeply and counterculturally about our own mortality, 
our own sin and failure that has put us in this position. But knowing that as Jesus drinks the cup set out by the Father before Him, that final word over us will not be death, but that final word will be proclaimed on Easter Sunday when He is risen. Amen.